0: Welcome to the backbone. But first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you the backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm/start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm/start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. Joining me on this episode of The Backbone is Brandon Brunett, controller at Kick. Kik is an anonymous mobile messaging application that allows users to create an account without the requirement of a cell phone number on both Android and iOS. As a result, Kick has received wide-scale adoption with its largest core user base being US teenagers. Most recently, Kick performed a token distribution event with the issuance of Kin, a cryptocurrency based on the Ethereum blockchain. Kick's vision for Kin is to become the most used cryptocurrency in the world. Brandon has been a key member of Kick's finance team since 2015, supporting senior leadership and the board. Brandon has a passion for startups, innovation, and disruptive technologies. Since joining Kik in 2015, Brandon has been involved in the $50 million Series D financing, which cemented Kik's unicorn status, having achieved a billion-dollar valuation. Additionally, he was a key contributor to the token distribution event, which resulted in the sale of $98 million worth of kin. So without further ado, let's hear from Brandon Burnett, controller at Kik. Hey, Brandon, thanks for joining me on the backbone and, uh, really want to get started with you right away. So, you know, you've spent four years at PwC before making the jump to kick, uh, where you've held progressive roles in finance for the last three and a half years. So talk to me about your journey to kick and what that's been like.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I started off obviously uh, at PwC. So uh, I was an auditor in the uh, technology field. So I was dealing with small, large tech companies, and then I got a good flavor for for startups and some of the smaller venture cap firms when I was going through the audit years. So um, after PwC, I kind of found Kick, um, and I thought there would be a really exciting startup to work with in the, co- in, the uh, in the county. And so um, I started there about four and a half years after uh, PwC. Uh, and when I started at kick, uh, it was around 35, 40 employees. So it was a quite a bit, uh, smaller at the time. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was much smaller. And and of that group, I think 25% was probably even co-ops at the time. So it was a pretty small, tightly knit, uh, company. Um, so small. In fact, that when you do the interview process, your final interviews with the CEO. So that's, it's kind of cool going through that. Yeah. It was neat, right? You get to meet everybody. Um, so, so, yeah, at the time, it was myself, the controller, and we had a CFO, COO. So it was a pretty tightly knit uh, finance team. And shortly uh, thereafter, I got spo- exposed to uh, Series D financing. So we did our, our, uh, our Series D round um, with a company called Tencent out of China. Mm-hmm. So, so that was a pretty exciting moment because it, it gave us our, our billion-dollar valuation. So I got in there at a pretty exciting time. Um, and, and from there, it just kind of kept rolling. So, uh, again, when I started, it was just the Waterloo office. Um, and so now we've expanded to, to New York. We had a California office. Um, we have a Toronto office. And then most recently we did an acquisition of a company in Israel about a year, a little bit over a year ago. Um, and so we have a Tel Aviv office
0: now. That's awesome. So you've seen quite a bit uh, since your your time at Kick and we'll unpack a, uh, that a little bit later on in the show but uh you know for those who are living under a rock and not familiar with what Kick Messenger is or what Kick is um tell us a little bit about that what what is Kick all about?
1: yeah so kick it really started and, and it and it kind of blew up because it was it was an anonymous messenger, so what that meant was you didn't need uh, a cell phone number uh, to sign up with the with the app so for a lot of young kids, it was fantastic because you could be on your ipad um, or on your um I don't know, your, your music device, and you could effectively have a, a kick username without having to have a cell phone, so you could connect with your friends, um, and when you're younger, you know, nowadays, it's, it's a bit different, but back then, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, you know, you are 14, 15, 16, you typically didn't uh, have a cell phone,
0: so... Right, right, so you could yeah. use something like an iPod Touch and... and Same, exactly, yeah, exactly. Gotcha.
1: That's when we saw the explosive kind of, the growth of the messenger uh, kind of take off,
0: Awesome. And so today um how has Kick kind of evolved from, you know, obviously there's a core messenger product uh and that's what it was built on and that's uh really the foundations of it because obviously as you know there's a lot of messaging products out there. What what keeps Kik uh going and and what are some of the kind of cool and unique things that are well unique to to Kick?
1: Yeah, so I think what they, you know, Kick's always been a little bit ahead of the game. They've been a smaller messenger, obviously, compared to some of the biggest, you know, messengers in the group, but uh, they were one of the first ones to come out with an HTML browser uh, within the application itself, and then they they came out with uh, chatbots, so they kind of uh, pioneered the overall chatbot space and started integrating bots within Kik, um, and that was probably, I think it was around 2016 we started doing that, and then afterwards you kind of saw some of the bigger guys like Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of start integrating chatbots within their uh, within their app, and, and it was cool at the time because we could we could integrate a lot of uh, external brands and, and agencies into the chatbots, and, and actually in a, in a way kind of monetize the space through through bots. After bots, we, we jumped into the uh, the cryptocurrency space, which is probably the most exciting thing we've done. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. That, was, that was a year ago. We did that.
0: Right, right. So before I so I want to dig into that for sure, uh, and and talk about that uh, crypto uh, stuff. But before I do that, I want to kind of link the the first question in the, this about kick. So prior to you starting at kick, you know, back in your days at PwC, um, were you using kick? Is that what kind of got you interested in like, like, what was that transition like, like going from PwC to kick? Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, so I used Kik, and, and really, what I used it for was just a core group of, of myself and some of my friends. We all used uh, gotcha. we used the group chat functionality, so it was just a way to you know everybody could chat in the same group throughout the day, and it was just kind of a cool way to connect with mm-hmm. everybody. Um, and so we were using that. Well, while, while I was at PwC, um, and then obviously um, I heard more about Kik. I was uh, I was throwing more business development related events. I met one of the, uh, one of the executives of Kick. At one of those events, and then from there, I mean, jumping into obviously into the startup technology field was uh, was an eye opener in, in a lot of great ways. Uh, the culture very different, but very exciting. Um, I mean, obviously, PwC had a very young culture, and so did Kick, uh, but it was just a very different um, approach to culture. It was a very open, transparent, um, and very exciting um thing to be a part of is explosive sure. there's a lot of growth so
0: so coming back to the toe stuff so um in september of 2017 kick raised 100 million dollars in an initial coin offering or as uh is commonly known the ico and so first of all explain to to me and the rest of the audience what an ico is
1: Yeah, so an ICO, we sometimes refer to it as a TDE, so a token distribution event, because um, I think in a lot of cases, when people hear ICO, they think of uh, some of the more, you know, scammy type things that have happened Mm -hmm. in the past. Um, But in general, I mean, an ICO is effectively, uh, you create a digital currency, so a token, um, and then you sell that token um, either to, you know, a private audience or a public audience, or in some case, uh, both groups, which is what we did. Um, and then that, that token effectively lives on a blockchain of some sort, whether it's the Ethereum blockchain or, you know, Bitcoin's blockchain or whatever mm. the case. Um, and then people start to trade those coins uh, amongst one another, either through exchanges or privately, but it's all tracked uh, through the blockchain.
0: Gotcha. And so in particular, uh, with the first of all, what was the Kik um, coin called?
1: So Kik's coin was
0: called Kin. Gotcha. Okay. So, kin, what could you... So, after you, let's say, uh, acquired some kin, um, what could you do with it?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, initially... Kin was effectively used to be traded amongst people, generally speaking, through exchanges. Um, there's a bit of a process to actually get your coins listed on exchanges. It doesn't typically happen right away. So there's a mm-hmm. bit of a down period there where uh, there wasn't a lot of trade volume. Um, but really what the goal of Kin is and the overarching kind of vision is to create um, a true utility coin that can be used in the in the greater ecosystem. Generally speaking, we want to see quite a bit of transaction volume. We don't want to just be something that sits on an exchange and people kind of buy and hold right. uh, to try to, you know, gain value. We want it to truly be something um, that people use. And and so in order to do that, what we did is uh, we created the concept of the Kin Rewards Engine. And I think that's kind of where our mm. coin is a bit unique. Yeah, so so we're working on it right now. It's, it's manual currently. Eventually, we we'll want to turn it into an algorithm. But the Kin Rewards Engine... What it'll do is it'll look at the, the transaction volume of Kin on a daily basis and it okay. will determine who's generated that transaction volume. So if you're a developer and you have a really cool video game an app and you, and you dump the Kin SDK into your app and you start creating transaction volume, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be rewarded for that on a daily basis in Kin. Gotcha. Um, and to get some perspective based on the, the initial value of Kin when we uh, initially sold it, um, the daily reward would be approximately, I think, between three hundred eighty-five and four hundred thousand dollars uh, U.S. dollars a day. Hit. Oh wow! Yeah, oh, so you can awesome. see if the value goes up, then obviously we'll be giving, you know, in theory, more value out to those developers who mm-hmm. are generating it and the ecosystem
0: around it. Got it, got it. So I, I think we can spend you know the whole night talking about uh, ICOs and, and cryptocurrency <laughs> and whatnot. So let's let's shift gears a little bit to talk about it from the finance perspective. Obviously, mm-hmm. not a lot of token distribution events, or you know, there there aren't handbook sections on like how to do a token distribution <laughs> event. So walk no. me through what that process was like from a finance perspective. You know, um, one one fine morning, you walk in to your office and and someone says, "All right." We're doing a token distribution event what is going through your mind as you think about how to wrap wrap your head around this from a finance perspective
1: yeah so i mean the first thing i did is uh i started trading small increments of tokens myself separately just to nice. make sure i understood how the economy works nice. um and so that kind of gave me some some understanding in general of how the exchanges work and whatnot and and the security aspects and i think for us The first and foremost, most important thing was okay. How are we going to manage the security around this? Because when we sold our tokens, half of the sale was done in U.S. dollars, which was a private sale, Mm -hmm. and the remaining half was done to the public, and and they bought Kin with ether. Gotcha. Um, And so you know how it is. You're not you're not storing ether in a bank. You know, if somebody comes and robs the bank, you don't get your money back. Right. So so I think that for us was was one of the biggest things we had to identify up front is how are we going to make sure that this is secure, not only from what we're storing, but also from what we're going to send out to both the private uh, private investors and to the, the public uh, participants of the sale.
0: Right. So uh, so uh, just on that note itself, as you mentioned, you know, a, a part of it is uh, in Ether. And so uh, like it's not like you get the the part part of that offering, the hundred um, million dollars in what is known as like fiat currency you, you wouldn't get that in your bank account when you do like a fundraise or when you go public or, or those kinds of things like how do you like actually use those funds as an organization
1: yeah no that's a great question i mean there are um there are certain uh groups out there um consulting groups and whatnot that actually accept uh payment in in cryptocurrency versus fiat uh currency but um, you know, for a lot of people that don't realize it, there's also quite a few um, middlemen out there that do uh, liquidate cryptocurrency for Not fiat true. currency. So there's a bit of, you know, obviously paying out uh, certain things with, with the crypto and also liquidating to to manage some of the operations on the side.
0: So what are some of the, and you started touching on this, but what are some of the additional things that you had to do after the funds were raised? So, you know, you, you, you go through the process of figuring out, okay, um, this is what... You know, once we do the token distribution event, people will have kin in return, they will put in their fiat currency. And so then once all of that is figured out, how do you like what changes uh, from a finance perspective in terms of making sure That currency has liquidity. Making sure, uh, like, are there any like regulations that you have to be aware of? Like, what what happens after the funds get raised?
1: Yeah, so I mean, like you kind of touched on before, there's no um, you know distinct rules on Mm -hmm. this is exactly what you do, but there was a lot of um, legality issues that we obviously wanted to navigate. So, I mean, if we even go back to when we did the ICL, we we KYC all of our uh, participants, which is something that not a lot of, not a lot of other ICOs had done at the time and then post obviously the ICO of really just looking at the overall finance function from a different perspective and, and understanding that you know how we hold the funds is going to be different than you know typical cash. Uh, the parties that we deal with is a different thing a lot of banks won't won't work with you uh, if you're a crypto company or they won't hold any cash that you know you've derived from the liquidation of cryptocurrency in their bank interesting yeah so you got to find new partners and you got to do that pretty darn quickly right you almost want to have that established beforehand and then from there like you touched on as well there's the liquidation aspect finding partners that you're that you can work with and again it's 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 a kind of navigating new waters you know mm-hmm. trying to understand if i'm liquidating this currency you know these guys are actually going to take you know a cut of that does that even make sense right it's such an, a new marketplace yeah right now that it's just it's unknown and it and really it's is. not
0: even like a small amount like it's a hundred million dollars no. so yeah. <laughs> it's um yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it was, uh, and again, that's why I go back to, I started trading it you know, on my own at first, so I could understand at least, um, you know, what mistakes not to make, mm-hmm. because um, what a lot of people, you know, that are in space don't realize is your, your privacy is is effectively this this private key that you hold. if right. someone gets a hold of that private key, they can do whatever they want, and, and really good luck getting your money back, right? Mm-hmm. There's no insurance, there's none of that uh, for cryptocurrency right now. Um, and so educating, you know, employees on that was really important because we had a, a portion, a very small portion of the sale was done with employees. So we wanted to make sure they weren't, you know, mm-hmm. giving away their private keys. And obviously we had some pretty, you know, funny scenarios come up throughout the process as people were learning, uh, how to manage it. But, um, yeah. but yeah, there was just so many different aspects
0: that's so fascinating um again i I think we can do a whole episode like we can do a series of episodes talking about just this experience It's so unique so fascinating um i I want to move gears now to the you know when you joined kick so when you started like you said you were around 35 40 people how many are you now so right now we're around 160, I think 165 people globally. Wow. So, yeah, yeah the team has, needless to say, grown. And so, um, you know, uh, this uh, a token distribution event, ICO aside, um, what are some of the things that have um, changed from a finance perspective? And what has that been like to be part of that, that crazy growth?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we really had to, we obviously had to build out our team because At the time, there was effectively, there was three of us, but, you know, our CFO was involved in, in the high-level stuff, yeah. you know, financing, stuff like that. So, first and foremost, we had to step back and say, okay, how are we going to build this team out so that we can get ahead of the game and not be, you know, behind in terms of, of getting stuff done? So, it was really stepping back, um, building a team, and then starting, you know, typically like you'd see in any finance uh, group creating processes just to make everything more efficient, mm-hmm. uh, and, and more effective. Um, and then, you know, once we had that team built out, it was really, it was a matter of of being able to manage constant change because in, in the startup world, things never are linear. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you monetize one way, you cut that off, you monetize another way, you cut that off, you do a cryptocurrency rates right? mm-hmm. and you figure out what to do after yeah. that. So it was really just finding like, um, a way to to be able to iterate and and change as as things change within the company mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, entry, yeah. For, for sure, for sure. And and so what were some of the, the, the processes that you had to establish, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty, but mm-hmm. high level that you had to ensure that the company was ready to scale, you know, so you mentioned hiring, that's obviously a key component. But yeah. um, what what were some of the other high level processes that you had to think through, which weren't necessarily an issue when you had started and the team was 40 people?
1: Yeah, I mean, stuff as simple as, as establishing like a, a regularly, you know, month end, quarter end cadence, which mm-hmm. which wasn't necessarily important at the time. Processes around um, tightening up our, our investor reporting um, and tightening up our our uh, our communication with with our board and making sure that you know we were providing regular updates to our board, making sure that you know on our quarterly board meetings we were really prepared to to present you know what was important, but also focus on the strategic side of things rather than just, you know, dumping information on them. Um, and then finally, I think one of the biggest things recently was, again, the processes around, around the security. And, and the issue around that is, you know, you, you can go crazy on security, but then make it extremely difficult to do any transactions, right? Right. So the balance there of securing your money, but also being able to, to perform transactions and to do things as quick as possible Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah because like you said you you want to have the currency be liquid you want to have a volume of of transactions you don't want it to be stagnant and so that that makes sense that you have to find that balance between not making it too complicated for people to transact but at the same time having the checks and balances in place so that uh, it transacts securely uh, exactly yeah. so yeah it seems like uh you know it's a it's a fascinating uh time and there there's a lot going on to to say the least um and the company has changed quite a bit uh, from from when you started do you do you feel that uh as as you uh, are, are there today versus when you started
1: yeah i mean absolutely i mean when you start with such a small group um everybody knows everybody right. and And, I mean, we're still pretty good about, about, you know, building that culture. Um, But as a small group, too, you know, roles and levels in the organization are almost irrelevant Mm -hmm. because you're just so focused on building a company and growing Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, all that other stuff that you kind of see in larger companies kind of goes away. And and obviously, as we grew, um, you know, you had to start implementing more processes and procedures and checks and balances just because when you start growing global, you know, you need to have those controls in place. It's just an unfortunate necessity
0: makes sense yeah and so l- last question here before we jump into our quickfire round and so in your opinion what is the importance of the finance function at a technology company like kick for example
1: yeah so i think at, at, a, at a smaller company there's two key things that you kind of have to look at from a finance function one is you know you've got to be the guys on the front line uh, managing the risk, um, because a lot of times you know you have a massive group of engineers and they're focused on building and creating and innovating, mm-hmm. um, but not always obviously managing the risk from a legal, from a finance, from a compliance perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even more important than that it's it's working with these other teams and and really educating them on the financial side of the business and having them understand you know every decision they make has some sort of financial implication on right. the business. Um, and and it's a pretty cool experience because, you know, you can see a lot of people's eyes open up as you start to kind of show them the other side of things. Um, And so while you're learning, you know, the technical side, Mm -hmm. they're also kind of learning the finance side. And so I think those two functions are kind of, very critical in a, in a startup
0: environment. Yeah, that's, that's really f- interesting because some of the previous guests have mentioned that, you know, finance is a unique position in that you get to touch a variety of, essentially you get to touch everyone in the whole company and you get to work within all of those departments. So it's interesting that you say that, that, you know, you can work with the engineers, you can work with people in sales and marketing and help them understand that each of their decisions that they're making which is specific to their product group or specific to their division or function has an impact uh financially so that's that's really uh refreshing to hear
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: cool so what i'd like to do now is uh hop into our quick fire round and so the way this works is i'll ask you a question and you'll have uh 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each how does that sound sounds good all right let's do it so what is your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related
1: yeah so i mean we use uh we use cb quite a bit cb finance uh internally within our team and then uh we actually use medium quite quite often we uh we really think it's a great a great source for um for finance kind of tech related stuff
0: got it got it cool what's your favorite productivity hack
1: um, I think personally, my, my best productivity hack is I use my email as a to-do list mm. and you know, anything that's not done, it sits in my email, in my inbox and anything that's done, I file it out and get rid of got
0: it. Got it. And so in your filing, uh, in that system, do you also use like flags and like different colors and like,
1: absolutely. It. It's, it's like, I got OCD <laughs> when I <thinking> stuff.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Uh, cool. And so, uh, what's one tech jargon that makes you cringe?
1: you know what I don't have anything specific that makes me cringe I just what makes me cringe is when people try to compile too many jargony words into like one or two sentences. <laughs> so so if you know it's the point where you sit there and you're like I don't actually know what you're saying yeah it's
0: just you're trying to check off as many you know words that uh, are are buzz, buzzy and and in the now and you're trying to make a sentence of it oh, I hear you um and what's the best advice that you've received in your career so far
1: no, I think, I think the best advice I've ever uh, received was, you know, hard work really does breed success. And at the end of the day, you have to be willing to push yourself out of your comfort zone if you want to grow in your role. And, and if you can push yourself out of your comfort zone, um, and, and, you know, step over the edge of it, it's, it's really the best way to kind of grow, um, and, and progress through your
0: well, career. Wow. Yeah. That's sound advice. And last one here is one thing you don't leave the office before finishing.
1: Oh man, this goes back to my my inbox. I make sure that I go through absolutely everything in there, and that it's cleared and it's organized, and that you know, coming into the next day, I, I know
0: what tasks I have to I have to Gotcha, gotcha. So your inbox doubles up as a email, like normal email, as well as tasks. Do you send emails to yourself, like to to update as tasks, or?
1: I, I have done that. In the past. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, so you're intense. so it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's my task list, really. Instead of using paper and pen... That's awesome.
0: Well, Brandon, look, this has been a lot of fun. Um, it was a pleasure chatting with you about uh, your journey from PwC to Kick, a uh, little bit learning more about what Kick is all about, and then really the fascinating topic of the ICO and the token distribution event that Kick went through, raising a hundred million dollars through that, and really your journey within uh, Kick. You know, starting off when when the company was about forty, to now has grown to about one hundred sixty people globally. Uh, um, and, and the changes that, that finance had to go through to, to get there. Uh, really been a fascinating discussion. I've enjoyed it a lot. So thank you so much for your time.
1: No, thanks a lot. That was really fun. I love talking about it.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks.